Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Welcome to a sermon podcast from Salem Lutheran Church. For more information, please stay tuned at the end of the sermon. chapter 6, beginning at the first verse. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each one had six wings. With two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. One called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies, The whole earth is full of his glory. The foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of the one who called, and the temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, I am doomed, I am ruined, because I am a man with unclean lips, and I dwell among a people with unclean lips, and because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, carrying the glowing a glowing coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with the coal and said, Look, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the Lord's voice saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. This is the word of the Lord. Our second lesson is found recorded in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, beginning at the second half of verse 12. St. Paul writes, Since you are eager for spiritual gifts, seek to use them abundantly in a way that will build up the church. That is why a person who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. So what is to be done? I will pray using my spirit, and I will pray also using my understanding. I will sing using my spirit, and I will sing also using my understanding. Otherwise, how will an uninformed person say the Amen after you give thanks, since he does not know what you are saying? To be sure, you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church I would rather speak five words with my understanding in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be like babies in regard to evil and be mature in your thinking. This is the word of the Lord. We read from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, beginning at the first verse. One time while the crowd was pressing on, in on Jesus and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. He saw two boats there along the lake shore. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Jesus got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. He sat down and began teaching the crowd from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water 
and let down your nets for a catch? Simon answered him, Master, we worked hard all through the night and caught nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their nets were about to tear apart. They signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, because I am a sinful man, Lord. For Peter and all those with him were amazed at the number of fish they had caught. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Jesus said to Simon, Have no fear. From now on you will be catching people. After they brought their boats to the shore, they left everything and followed him. This is the gospel. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for consideration is found recorded in Isaiah chapter 6 beginning at verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings, with two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. One called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. The whole earth is full of his glory. The foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of the one who called, and the temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, I am doomed, I am ruined, because I am a man with unclean lips, and I dwell among a people with unclean lips. And because my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, carrying a glowing coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with the coal and said, Look, this has touched your lips, so your guilt is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the Lord's voice saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. This is the word of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, one of the biggest strains on a relationship, especially a marriage relationship, has to be finances. Oh, people can get all bent out of shape. There can be slamming of doors, throwing of attitudes over the issue of finances. And when you start to see that, even within a church, with a family of believers, oh, that too, people can be at each other's throat, arguing and fighting over how are we going to deal with the finances. Oh, what about the offerings? We're living like people do paycheck to paycheck while we're living from offering to offering. And, and by the way, when the offerings don't quite cover the expenses for that week, then we pray that, well, maybe next week there'll be more to, to compensate. And then sooner or later, the question begins to be asked, how do we get people to give more? How do we get people to volunteer more? 
Because isn't there some truth to the old saying that 10% of the people pay for 90% of what goes on within the church or within any type of organization? How do we get people to give more? How do we get people to volunteer more? The Lord God Almighty, he had a question too. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah, who is a historian under King Uzziah, is now being called by the Lord to be the Lord's personal prophet. And Isaiah responds, without hesitation, here I am, send me. So that begs the question, why would he say such a thing? Well, certainly the Lord was calling for him and calling for him to serve. But was that the main reason? What was behind? Without hesitation to say, here I am, send me. Especially when he didn't even know what he was getting into. And yet he was willing to serve. All of this happened during the year that King Uzziah died. And two things really stand out during that year. It's actually 740 B.C., 740 years before the birth of Christ. We remember that in the southern kingdom of Judah, half the kings were faithful to the Lord, half were not. Uzziah was one who found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And the year that Uzziah died, I can actually say that this is actually the beginning of the end for the southern kingdom. During Uzziah's reign, and it was during 52 years, he started at the age of 16. He had built up the military. He had expanded the borders financially, economically. Things were at, there was huge prosperity and success. People had great national pride. On the flip side, spiritually speaking, they were bankrupt even though Uzziah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And the other thing that stands out, this was the year that Rome was founded. Within a few centuries, it will become the greatest empire that the world has ever seen. And yet, in the light of all of that, is this simple, beautiful event where Isaiah was taken in a vision to the throne room of God. And we can honestly say that because there's a throne in the room. There is a throne, and the one sitting on it is high and mighty and exalted. In fact, this throne room is like no other. It's got an altar in it, and it's called a temple. In fact, the room, the temple itself, was filled with smoke. Some interpret that to mean that since smoke and, and fire and thunder and lightning were all manifestations of God's glory, that that's what was filling the room. But it also could be that the reason that there was smoke in the room for Isaiah to see would certainly cause Isaiah to remember that once a year, the Holy of Holies, the whole entire room was, was filled with smoke. And 
the, the priests would go in and clean up the room just once a year. Remember that inside that room was kept one piece of furniture, the Ark of the Covenant. And on that day, the high priest would offer a sacrifice in behalf of the people, would offer a sacrifice for his own sins, would collect the blood and go in to that Holy of Holies and sprinkle that blood on the cover of the Ark of the Covenant, which was called the Mercy Seat or the Atonement Cover. That would remind them that there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. They have the whole room filled and the one sitting on the throne reminds us that this is the Savior who gave his life as an atoning sacrifice for the sins once and for all. In fact, the one sitting on the throne is the most important figure in this whole entire vision. He's called Lord, which is the word Lord used for kings and, and noblemen. But this one is actually the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And then he had a great long robe that filled the room, which is usually a robe that was long and very ornate, was a robe that priests would wear. This king is truly the Christ, who is prophet, priest, and king. But a priest like no other, because he gave himself once and for all as payment for sins of the world. Above him were seraphim, and, and these were elite angels. I think of them as royal guards, because angels are always described as armies, and this is the lord of the armies the Lord of the heavenly hosts. And, and since angels are described as armies, they had ranks like archangel. These seraphim are the ones who are closest to the Lord. They're over his head. They're closest to the Lord in this throne room. The word seraphim here is used in no other place in scriptures. We've heard of cherubim. That was used even in the Garden of Eden with a flaming sword to keep Adam and Eve and all the descendants from going into the Garden of Eden and eating from the tree of life. The root word for seraphim is actually the word for fire. And the word fire is used oftentimes to describe poisonous snakes. Because when they bite you, it's it feels like you're on fire. So because of that, many believe that the seraphim who had six wings, two to fly, two to cover their face, and two to cover their feet, must have been maybe snake-like creatures that were flying around. It would make you think of maybe they were dragon-like. Another thing is, is many question that because it's mentioned feet. A snake doesn't have feet. So because of that, some see the seraphim as maybe human-like in looking or, or what Isaiah was seeing. But they were ablaze. Remember the chariots of fire that came to pick up Elijah and take him directly to heaven? Either way, we really don't know because we're not given enough information. All we know is that they're closest to the Lord. We know that they're giving the Lord great reverence and humility with the covering of their face and feet by their very wings. 
But what is important is not who they are, but what they are saying. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. The whole earth is full of his glory. All this, these simple words um, are simply a song of praise, but also a confession of faith. It is the Lord who made everything, so the whole earth is going to be full of his glory. But this song of praise that says that the Lord, the covenant God, the great I am, who revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush, the very one who led the people of Israel out of the land of slavery and brought them to the promised land of Canaan, is the very Lord who's rescued us and paid for our sins and will take us to the promised land of heaven itself, is spoken of as holy, holy, holy. As many of you know or may not know, that there is no such thing as a superlative, or a superlative word, I should say, in the Hebrew language. They don't have a word like holiest, you know, where you add EST at the end of the word. So if they want to say that something is holiest, what they do is they just double the word. So in the temple, you had the holy place, but the part of the temple that would receive that smoke on the Day of Atonement was called the Holy of Holies, or as many translate today, the Most Holy Place. But here the Lord is not just called the Holiest, he's called the Holy, 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 which would make him the Holy of the Holiest, or the Holiest of the Holies. There is no one greater when it comes to holiness than the Lord himself. And they sang these words, so loud that even the threshold of the door was shaken. These were words that were meant to be heard and meant to be heard by all. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. The whole earth is full of his glory. You would think that Isaiah would be honored Oh, to hear this and to see this. And remember, he's in a vision. So quite possibly in that vision, he's smelling the smoke. To use all those senses and to be awed by what God would reveal to him. You would have thought he would have joined the seraphim in singing the song as well. But instead, he says, I am doomed. Literally, woe to me. I'm ruined, destroyed, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people with unclean lips, and because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. Even the seraphim covered their face and feet, and Isaiah's looking at the Lord. I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. And keep in mind, what controls your very lips? Is it not your heart and mind? If he has unclean lips, he has unclean heart and mind. He's admitting I'm a sinful human being. And yes, he inherited a sinful nature that goes back to Adam and Eve. And yes, he has done sinful things. He's not worthy to stand before the Lord. Even the Apostle Peter realized that after the large catch of fish, 
He actually says to the Lord, get away from me, I'm a sinful man. He knows that when it comes to the Lord, who is holy, 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 no sinful human being could stand before a pure, holy God and live. Because the opposite of holiness is sin. A holy God hates sin. A holy God must punish sin. And the punishment is death. It is not surprising at all. He's crying out from what he sees. You think he should be celebrating, but seeing his sinful nature before the very Lord God Almighty? Yes, I am ruined and I am destroyed. Because I'm a sinful man. Remember that beggar's prayer. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. My friends and brothers and sisters in Christ and precious souls, we are no different than Isaiah. We too have inherited that sinful nature. We have not always lived according to God's holy will, that will of perfect love. We've lived with selfishness, thinking we know what is best over against what God's word actually says. We have taken for granted his holy word many a times and don't always put first with our hearts and minds worshiping our Lord above all things. Yes, we too are sinful human beings. There's no free will where we have some goodness in us and we can earn God's favor and, and we can come to God. You can't choose God. So the question is, can any of us be saved? It doesn't look good at all. But what's impossible for man is not impossible for God. We don't choose God. God chose us. God chose Isaiah to be his prophet. And notice how he did it. He sent an angel to actually take the live coals on that altar, and he'll use tongs, but he'll put it in his hand. That burning coal does not even hurt or harm that holy angel. And he takes it over to Isaiah, and he touches his very lips. Remember the very lips he called unclean? And it should have destroyed him. It should have burnt him up. It didn't even leave a scar. And why? Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. In the Old Testament, in the Hebrew language, there's actually three words for sin. They are beautiful picture words. The one that's not used here is the word we translate as transgressions, crossing over the forbidden line. And any time you reject God's word or do not obey God's word, you're crossing over, into the, over the forbidden line. The first word here for sin that's translated here, guilt, is actually the word iniquity, not measuring up. And any time you don't measure up to God's 100%, you have fallen short. And it is such a unique word because that not measuring up always includes the results of not measuring up, which is guilt and fear, especially the fear of the punishment that sins deserves. So the angel is saying, the guilt is gone. The punishment is gone. The punishment you deserve 
It's taken away. It doesn't exist. And why? Your sin is forgiven. That's the word for missing the mark. If you don't, it's an archer's term. If you don't hit the bullseye perfectly when it comes to God's word, you've missed the mark. And that's the same word that's used in the New Testament for sin. That's forgiven. Literally, it's covered. It's taken from God's sight because it's been paid in full. The reason he didn't burn up is because God paid for those sins and here changed the status of that sinful man who cried out, I am doomed, I am ruined, woe to me, and now has declared him a saint. The very holy, holy of holy, Lord God, is declaring Isaiah holy. And he did it all. So now when you ask the question, who will I send and who will go for us, emphasizing the Trinity, it is not surprising that Isaiah would say, here I, here I am, send me. We call this gospel motivation, which is completely opposite of law motivation. Law motivation always deals with guilt and fear. Law motivation says, here's what you need to do or else. And when law motivation is used to try to control people or demand what people need to do, oh yes, people will do it at first. But over time, they get sick of the guilt and they get tired of the fear constantly. And it's so easy to rebel against it. The Lord didn't come with that kind of motivation. He came with the gospel of forgiveness. That empowers. That tells us what we get to do versus what we have to do. That motivates and empowers us to love because he loved us first. So now when you come to the question, how do we get people to give more? How do we get people to volunteer more? It's the wrong question. It's not our ministry to get people to do anything or to get people to do what we want. No, the ministry is to preach the gospel to preach the gospel of the one who sits on the throne, the one who is the holy, holy of holies, and to proclaim his holy name as that good news of salvation touches the heart of people to serve the Lord with willingness. Therefore, disciples of Jesus, and that is who you are, as believers in Christ, join your brother of old, the prophet Isaiah, and also saying, here I am, send me, use me. As I grow in your holy word and share that word with everyone I meet, not just with my lips, but with my very life. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.
Thank you for taking the time to listen to a sermon podcast from Salem Evangelical Lutheran Church. If you have any further questions or would like to learn more about Salem Lutheran and its ministry, please check out our website at www.salemevlutheran.org. Once again, that is www.salemevlutheran.org. May God bless you today and every day.